This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. Today, we are tackling a topic crucial to every design project, the client. Clients are more informed and design savvy than ever, but are they also more demanding and difficult? And if so, how do you navigate their demands? I'm excited to sit down with three very successful and experienced designers who are with us today to discuss how they handle clients. I'm happy to have Sheila Bridges, whose tailored yet colorful work on townhouses, penthouses, and country houses has won her acclaim and a place on both the AD100 and El Decor A-List. Welcome, Sheila. Hi. I'd also like to introduce Richard Michon, who for more than three decades has crafted everything from urban areas to beachside barns in his distinctly layered, luxe, and colorful style, and is also on every top designer list you can imagine. So glad you're joining us today, Richard. Hey there. And I'm so pleased to have Josh Green, who after a five-year partnership at Hernandez Green, founded his solo firm a year ago. He executes clean line yet warm and livable spaces for a new generation of design lovers. Thanks for being here, Josh. Thanks for having me. Okay, so th the idea of this has been prompted by so many designers telling me that they feel that clients have become more difficult. And I'm not always sure what that means, but it's actually something Sheila and I had talked about as well, so I'm so happy she's here today with us. Because I would like to get the take from you guys, is that true or is it a myth? I mean, I do think clients are more informed through by the internet and social media, but are they more difficult? So, Sheila, since you inspired this whole thing, I'm going to Oh, my go to goodness. You first. Put this all on me. Um, <laughs> You'll think, have backup. <laughs> uh, I think it's sort of a double-edged sword. I think uh, clients are way more informed than they've ever been before, uh, thanks to television shows about design, the internet, shopping online. So I, I think that part of it is actually great. But I think in this new world, particularly of social media, a lot of people feel as though they're a designer. Um, and I think that sometimes gets in the way when you're working with a client because they have such access to design and they can read so much, you know, information and it's right at their fingertips. I think sometimes they think that they can do our job. Mm -hmm. Richard, how do you feel? You've, been, you've worked with all kinds of clients on all kinds of projects. So... Have you noticed a shift over your career? Well, I agree with what Sheila is saying. And what's interesting is it's time now to prompt your client as to when certain phases in a project are over. So let's say, for example, we have to select stone and millwork choices and things of the kind. So you have to say to them, okay, no more inspiration shots. No, don't bring me anything more. We have to like kind of wrap this up. They're piling it on. They, yeah, yeah. And now we're going to make choices in furniture and fabrics and other things. And you've got to move them along because they do come back and you think they think they have all the time in the world and they, they don't. So you have to direct them in not becoming difficult. I mean, there are studies, psychological studies of people in the supermarket, like too much choice mm. freezes people. They don't know what to do. It's better to offer them three brands of pasta, for example, or maybe it's better to have five stone possible, possible stone surfaces and not 20. 
Well, I think that's part of the challenge with the with the internet in particular. Right. I mean, it used to be that, you know, you would meet with a client and let's say they were looking for a chandelier for their dining room. Maybe we would present five amazing chandeliers, but we've looked at you know, 100 chandeliers to get to those five. And now they have access to thousands and thousands of images of chandeliers, whether it's, you know, things that they see on Pinterest, that they're, you know, things that are inspirational, as well as just, you know, shopping all night or staring at the computer screen, looking at, you know, sites like Cherish or wherever. (laughs) And uh, yeah, insomnia and mixed with wine is a very, very dangerous thing in the evening. And so I think, you know, because of that, they, they have the expectation that you're going to be presenting and then presenting and then presenting and that there's always something better. Maybe you just, maybe one more chandelier. So I think for me, that's that's really right. been the challenge. Right. Well, they say that Instagram has inspired FOMO, fear of missing out. And I think <laughs> it applies to design as well. Now, Josh, you, you grew up with the internet and social media and stuff, which I did not. So how does that shape your clients and their expectations of you? So I'm one of these people and there was a were like a small group of people where I'm like half analog half digital so I didn't get you know we were just kind of getting cell phones in high school and I didn't get my first email address until I went to college so I I was like I did grow up like as I was younger you know not having all of these things that not using the internet not not doing that and I you know I've been around working in the industry for probably 15, 16 years. So, but really on my own in the last five, six years. So I don't really have a a long-term point of view on like, have clients gotten more difficult? Mm -hmm. Um, But certainly relationships are, some are uh, easier than others, I would say. Right. And, And going back to the other point in terms of how presenting and like the options, I sometimes actually think that I have too many options. But I do find that if I do have a lot of options, I'd rather have more and then we work together to like edit down. Um, and usually through that process, like I can sort of guide them to I what I think is the right decision. So my other question is, we're living in a gilded age. There's a lot of very high-end clients out there. And I'm I'm assuming you all have had some contact with them. I know most designers want to get clients with bigger budgets. Of course, that's a wonderful dream. But my question is, I've had designers say to me that the wealthier people are now, the more obnoxious they can be. And I'm, I don't mean to be rude about it, but is mm. that the case? Now, Richard, what do you think? You don't have to name names. I'm not naming names. Um, <laughs> so what's interesting is when people bring me photographs of, of certain projects and they'll be in magazines and things mm-hmm. like that, It's funny in a sense, it doesn't matter how much money they have or not have. It's more, what are we identifying here? What are you looking at? Because they show me a photograph and I could be thinking, are we talking about these moldings? Are we talking about chair? Do we have three Warhols and two George Kondo paintings? Is that what we're (laughs) looking at here? Because that does make it so exciting. But um, if they don't, they again it's kind of like you have to bring clarity to what it is that their expectations will what they're responding to yeah like where are we going with this entire thing the other thing too is my projects really end up looking like a combination of things i've worked with so many people who collect so many things it's more up to me to to put together what they have than to go out and um 
and shop. And so it's not about, again, how much they're spending, but it's more like editing down right. and putting back together what we're bringing with us. More is not necessarily more. Unless it's really good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's rare. That's rare. So the other question I wanted to really ask about is if there's a generational difference. I mean, and maybe Josh, you can maybe answer this. Do those clients who have grown up on the internet and are used to this, do they expect more to see more things, to be shown more things? Are they um, less willing to commit? It's funny. I would say even my clients that are a little bit older definitely come to the table with things that they have seen or right. it's maybe just not as much or right. maybe not as often. Well, when I grew um, up, you know, people were advised, you know, tear the pages out of magazines. Now right. they create Pinterest boards. But I do think that would be a useful tool for a designer to have a sense of what yeah, I think likes. it's I think it's really good to start out at the beginning of a project to have somebody have been sort of active on Pinterest or um, or even if they've like, I really like these sorts of things. It is helpful. It gives you like, OK, well, I guess I, I know kind of where we're going. And then you can take, you know, that information and put your spin on it and, and expand upon it and all of that. But, you know, it kind of depends. Like some clients that I've had are much more like constantly sending things on Cherish or any of the online, you know, companies where you can find these amazing pieces. So basically the personality of who that that person is, if they mm -hmm. have a lot of time and they want to be online and looking for furniture and right. they're, yeah, and they're sort of obsessive and they like a hunt, then they're going to, you know, be the ones that are sending you like more things. Right. So it just depends, I think, on their personality. I don't know that it's necessarily an age, but I would say it's, you know, probably people more around my age, like, you know, 30s 40s that are pretty active right right and i think you know it's around them everybody's on their phones all the time for sure at that age group and i think it's again if you're missing out but i also wanted to you brought up that people giving you lots and lots of ideas sending you lots of images it used to be when i you know we won't say how many decades ago when i was young you know the role of the designer was somewhat different i mean i remember reading about designers who were actually social arbiters for their clients they would show them how to entertain how to live i remember reading one crazy woman who wouldn't allow the cleaning lady to move the ashtrays once the designer had placed them you know there was that <laughs> much of an acknowledgement of the role of the designer and you know many of them became like walkers which thank god it doesn't exist anymore or they would get them on tray, get them onto boards of museums. So obviously that has all changed. But it seems now that in a way it's the pendulum has swung the other direction where designers are expected to be on call all the time or getting emails all the time. Do you have do you have that problem with your clients, Richard? Why don't we start with you? Yeah. So people are are constantly looking, especially after hours. That's when they mm -hmm. have their iPad and they're kind of right. the looking wine. at things. <laughs> and um, they'll call me and they'll say, Oh, I you know. There's a chair that's being auctioned in London. Phillips, do you, do you mind looking at it? Or suddenly I'm getting texts at dinner mm -hmm. with like chandeliers and all these things from right the right auction two days later. And I'm kind of thinking, oh, my God, we've already selected that. <laughs> or, or you're like, I've gotten, you know, emails or texts that said, hey, I bought this. Exactly. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where is it going to go? Yeah. Well, you know what? That's in their defense. So collectors don't think where's this going they just buy it and then later right. they'll find a place for it yeah but a lot of it goes to storage too so if you collect but it's more that we are on 24 7 yeah now. i don't i don't mind when they as long as it's not like 
sort of changing the essential like direction of where you're going as a as a team, then I think it's fine if they want to. Yeah, and sometimes it's fun. It's like, oh, well, it was kind of, that was actually awesome, and it was one less thing I defined. Right, right. But Sheila, how do you feel about this? Because to me, it, it could tip over the line to a lack of respect. Yeah, I think sometimes it does tip over the line. I think it's about sort of the access now that people have. You know, before you would have meetings with a client, you would have dialogue with them and meet with them in person and also have conversations. There would be correspondence, of course, uh, in terms of the administrative task of actually getting these things done. But now there's just constant communication. So I might get several texts from a client and then several emails from the client, you know, throughout the course of the day, also on the weekend and the evenings. Um, so that's what I mean. There's just more access mm-hmm. because of, you know, the fact that we are on the grid, you right. know, sort of 24-7. Right. If I have access to Cherish, why don't I have access to my designer? Exactly. But, mm-hmm. it, so how do you navigate that? I mean... Do you have meetings at the beginning with your client where you try and set parameters, whether they obey them or no, not? Or I don't think I ever try to sort of set parameters. I think it is important, however, to kind of establish some boundaries kind of early on, I think, in the job. So I'm – my friends always tease me and call me first responder because I usually respond to them so quickly. I'm the person at, you know, 5 a.m. who gets right back to you. Wow. Um, I but, need to take lessons but, from you. But actually, it's – Again, it's it's double-edged. I mean, think about, you know, what happened to the first responders. You know, you think about the World Trade Center. And so I've actually sort of taken a step back from that. And so now if clients text me on the weekends, a lot of times I really will wait until Monday morning. I might answer on my own because I can't help mm-hmm. myself mm-hmm. because that's just my nature. So I might put it in my draft folder. But I do try to establish some of those boundaries if I get, you know, texts and emails on Christmas morning that aren't really about wishing me a Merry Christmas, but they're more about, you know, that their lampshade is crooked. I mean, those things to me just aren't priorities, and mm-hmm. and I think that they can wait. So I think it's, you know, up to every individual designer to sort of establish boundaries and parameters within their own lives that work for them. I, I think there's something about boundaries. I think in any relationship that you have, you know, you have to establish healthy boundaries if, and especially when things aren't, you know, like we talked about before, going over the line. So I also think there's something to be said about not taking on, it's just yourself. I think, you know, I would say we all as designers, we're in a service business and we want to please people and we want to make things like as best as we can for them and their homes. But there is something to be said about sort of remembering you got to like protect yourself and you got to not let it affect you so much. But um, those must be difficult conversations on occasion. Has that ever like backfired on you where clients really gotten angry with you? I mean, I'd love to hear from any of you about that. Um, no, because they couldn't get a hold of me. You mean? Or well, you say, you know, listen, you've been bugging me with too many emails, but you've got to back off and give me some time. It's oh, like... I've never said that to a client. <laughs> I just... Well, not in those words. Yeah, but, no, no. But... I've, uh, but what you do is you just establish the boundaries. You mm-hmm. just maybe say, you can mm-hmm. respond and be like, oh, hey, thanks for the email. I'll go back to you on Monday. Okay. If they're contacting you right. over the weekend. Right. There are things right. you can do that are still polite, still letting them know right. that you hear them, but like saying like, right. look, I'm not on, right. I'm not your beck and call. Right. I can't like, right. you know, but then also if they are at an auction or if they're at a flea market and they're like, what do you think of this? Right. Usually right. then it's like, yeah, right. of course well, that, yeah. 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 Do you but, know what? There's something interesting about, if it's, if it's something about, should I buy this? Do you like this? Right. You could say, yes, I love that. Yep. But sometimes they'll send me bathroom fittings and I'm like, wait. 
You know, yeah, this that's... changes everything. So what I say is yeah, this is a long discussion. We're meeting Thursday. Let's save it for them. Right. And um, they don't understand right. how it interacts with every right. other thing in the bathroom. Right. And, right. Or and, the fact that you can order waterworks or check and speak. It doesn't, you don't need to grab it off the shelf. No, but yeah. it, for example, they, they, they have this shower that has a rain shower and it has two showers mm -hmm. on each side and it has handheld showers. So Axor makes like these components that have three controllers. Now, if you go to check and speak or something, you know, it, mm -hmm. they don't interact with Axor. Right. So it's like, right. I can't explain this right. to you right now, right. nor do I want to. Right. Right. So it's right. kind of like we've done the research. Right. I don't want to get into it anyway. So right. I'll just say Thursday we're going to meet. And people, and they're generally fine with that, clients. Yeah. Well, Your clients. Sheila, I think I so. Yeah, yeah. No, I think so yeah. for the most part. Okay. I mean, right. I've, I've certainly... Well, I'm sure you've yeah. all had bad yeah, clients. Sure. I mean, how can you... You know, we've all had bad relationships. I'm sure you've had bad clients. And I guess another trick to navigating that is to recognize bad clients early on. Um, and I think that's probably something that you learn as you go. But... Josh, I wish there was of... a way to know. I don't think there's a way to know. And I'm, I've been fortunate that I've... I've only had two clients that I had to part ways from. Um, and nothing recently. And I think if it's so clear, especially, you know, when you've had a great client, when you have somebody who's abusive or who is, you know, demeaning or disrespectful and to you or your team. Yeah, the team is really important. If they're not nice to the team and they're nice to me, that's yeah, horrible. Right. I think then <clears throat> when once you've had, you know, great clients and great relationships and then you have a sort of a bad apple, you can, I think, identify it more quickly. Mm -hmm. The one that I'm thinking of was a long time ago and uh, I had worked with them before and then it turned out well and it was a smaller thing. So it was like when they came around again, which a bunch of time had passed and I thought, you know what, we know how to work together. It'll be fine. And then so we started working together and then very quickly it was like even worse and it was surprising. Mm -hmm. And so before we ordered anything, I cut ties because I was like they had a big proposal summary with, you know, and I was like, if, if we place all these orders, then we're in it. This is the time we have to like stop. And so so we made that decision. Hi, everybody, and thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying the Cherish podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I'm the co-founder and president of Cherish, and I'm just going to take a quick second to give you the inside scoop on our Cherish trade program. Professional designers are invited to join our program to access really great benefits like net pricing and a special trade-only customer service team. And new this year, we're introducing a loyalty program where designers earn $75 in cash for every $5,000 they spend on Cherish. We hope you'll join us. You can do so by visiting cherish.com backslash trade. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H dot com backslash trade. Now back to the show. Sheila, has that ever happened to you? Um, yeah, I think, um, I guess there are different types of you know, if we're going to call, say bad clients. Sometimes I feel as though I'm thrust in the middle uh, of a marriage. Uh, you know, we, we mm. definitely all sort of play psychologists some of the I time. I always say a designer's like a couple therapist. It, yeah. And so, so I think this, sometimes those have been some of the clients that I've let go of over the years that they've sort of put 
me in the middle when they can't really agree on things. And it's, you know, it speaks to more than just their home, um, sort of what's going on. And I, I just don't like to be put in that kind of a situation with, you know, sort of back and forth with the husband saying one thing and the wife. And so I think in those instances, I've sort of withdrawn. Um, the other thing for or me... Or the is, other husband. Yeah, or the other <laughs> husband or the other <laughs> wife or what. But I think... And maybe this is one of those things that just, you know, you get more experience the more you meet with people. But I think, you know, as much as they're interviewing you, you should be interviewing them. And there are a lot of things that that appear, you know, right at the beginning of a job. If a if we, you know, we have a standard letter of agreement, it's not that complicated. And I think that my prices are fair. They're certainly within the industry standard. Mm -hmm. um, but if you try to over-negotiate with me about my fees and just want to beat me down about, you know, what my hourly rate is and then about this and about reimbursables and how about this and that and everything, I, you know, I tend to start to bristle a little bit and feel as though I'm not really sure that this is somebody who I am going to have a long-term relationship with. Many of my clients, I've done, you know, one, two, three, even four of their homes. And if at the beginning of a job, you can tell and see that someone is not really looking to have a long-term relationship with you. They just want you to help facilitate sort of for them to just, you know, make purchases and get things done. So, you know, I think you just sort of have to pay attention to those cues, but usually they're there. I think a big red flag is in that initial like contact that a potential client makes with you. If they ever phrase it as, oh, you know what? I just need a little help. Yeah. <laughs> then you're like, nope. Yeah. Then, yeah. then yeah. they're too insecure right. to not know what they don't know. Richard, um, have you ever had this happen? I mean, oh, my God. You know, one of the things... Um, oh, my God. You said no, that. no, that I hear it now. That it, one of the interesting things is when they beat down your team, you have to part ways in the end because you can't do everything. Well, also, it's very hard when you're starting out. And like so many designers, it's like I think people actually take advantage of that sometimes because absolutely for sure i mean not you're not always or at least i'll speak for myself i'm not always in a position i love <laughs> i love to walk away if i'm in a leveraged position sort of financially and feel like i can do this if it's a very very difficult client but there's also times and certainly in my career where i couldn't walk away where i really needed that job mm -hmm. and so you just have to suck it up you know but mm -hmm. it's it's not ideal obviously if they're excessively yeah. difficult just to help other designers who are listening, are there any red flags, like you raised a good one, Josh, but are there any other red flags that, that designers should look for and say if they can afford to, they should walk away at the beginning? You know, interestingly, a huge developer that I worked for, I have only had one bad situation in my life, which was really bad. And the whole city knew about this. So, and everybody was on my side and everybody said, what can I do to help you? And I said, I don't know, nothing. I've got to get through this. But he said, let me teach you a lesson. He said, when I do my deals, I do more due diligence on who I'm getting involved with than on the deal. Did you Google this mm. person before? Did you do research on who he was? And Good I was point. like, no, I didn't. Idea. And it was all on the internet. He had sued everybody. He had, you know, everyone in his life, he had like worn down, wives, business people. And I thought, oh my God, this yeah. is like. Well, it's just like 
the clients have access to the internet, but so do the designers now. Yeah, but we so, don't think that way. I, right. Yeah, but I, that, it's true. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's funny. Like, also, I think just really, it's hard if you need the work or if you want the, it's a good project mm. and you want to do it. It's hard to walk right. away when you do right. see these red flags. Right. Um, like, if you find something on the internet that says, that somebody, you know, there were there been stories about somebody that, you know, in the paper mm-hmm. about bad behavior or maybe somebody bad behavior in their family. I had a client who it was the child of somebody who was known to be publicly very abusive. And I thought like, oh, well, the child's charming, like they'll be different. Um, and that didn't turn out to be the case. Yeah. But I also think what Sheila said was... Um, about over negotiating. And yeah, when they're yeah when they're to... really beating you down and they're really nitpicking your agreement. I mean, I've seen a lot of different designers' agreements. They're really not that different. So if there's somebody who's like really nitpicking it, then it's a definitely a red flag. Okay, and speaking of negotiating in terms of oh, costs and all that, can okay, I say one on. more? Like you may say that, one more thing Josh, that I would please. give to to anybody really. If they had been working with a previous designer and then they they're not working with that designer anymore. I would say more than likely it's they're the problem, not the designer. Right. Um, now, would you ever... And it, so I've, you know, you might... And I've certainly called other designers. I would just say, would you call the, that for designer? For sure, yeah. yeah. You know, and if that was the case, like, I would be fine if somebody called me, you know? Right. I wanted to ask you a more practical issue, which just has to do with photography and imagery. I mean, I know when I was editor of Val Decor, a lot of... People wanted to be anonymous, but then there were a lot of designers had clients who wouldn't let any photography be taken at all. And, you know, one of the ways, I mean, magazines aren't as important as they used to be, but in social media, Instagram, all of that. So it seemed to me that was a growing problem for the designers who want to have their work seen and evaluated and maybe be hired by new clients. Is that something, do you put that in your contracts? How do you deal with the issue of photography and social media and that kind it's of a, thing? It's a line item in my agreement mm-hmm. that I have the rights to photograph it and use it for promotional purposes. And, and people don't cross that off? No. Okay. But I, I also, if, yeah, I also th- think though that let's say there was a situation where a client really didn't want it, they wouldn't, I mean, it's not like I'm going to show up with my contract in hand like with a photographer at the door mm-hmm. you know trying being like well you who's in here you know if they're like they had said to me after they're like no i don't want to photograph it i'd probably be just sol mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. well more than that I, there was one incident where we had this client and we shot the house and she was supposed to show up for the portrait, portrait right mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she had the husband call the magazine and the editor-in-chief that happened to be michael boudreau <laughs> and threatened to sue do you remember that i and do so, on what grounds i do oh she didn't want to be photographed no she wanted she to be wanted photographed. to be photographed she but she had them come to. back a second time and they said no because of <laughs> continuity the trees will be different right. and da 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 she said we could photoshop it and then she was suddenly creative directing the magazine oh i God, mean it yes. was like yeah who are you? And then at the end, um, it didn't go well. But um, <laughs> Sheila, you, do you have a problem with photography? Yeah, it's always been um, a challenge for me. I think, you know, for the majority of my career, I think most of, of the clients I got and the work that I got, I really got from having those images seen, you know, in, in magazines. Mm-hmm. And so I would say in the last um, decade, it's gotten harder and harder because a lot of our clients – 
want is to sort of guarantee anonymity if, if in fact, they even are willing to uh, publish or let us even photograph. And even though it's in my contracts, I think it's sort of stated that, you know, ultimately they have the final sort of word on that um, with their permission. You know, mm-hmm. we, we we want the right, certainly, if nothing else, to include in our professional portfolio. I was going to say you and, want to at least and, put on your website. Yes, so and, you want to be able to do that. Right. But remember well, before right, – book. It wasn't a digital platform. So portfolios were actually these physical books which you sent out to people, to potential clients and, you know, prayed that they would come back to you without coffee stains, you know, because they were so expensive to to produce. So I think it's gotten challenging, you know, also because, you know, I might put a photograph out there and then someone else picks it up and then puts it on Pinterest. And first of all, I have an agreement with the photographer. They've been paid um, and so they're using it out of context. That, you know, I think it just, you know, has created some some challenges, at least certainly for me. Um, and it's hard if the clients don't want to publish because I think, you know, how else do people see your work and know what right. you're yeah, what I you're doing? And yeah. I've even, you know, it's gotten to the point some years where people will run into me in a design function and will say, so what are you doing now? <laughs> and I've, I say I'm, I'm designing and, oh, I haven't seen anything of yours lately. And that's because, you know, right. we just can't uh, – sometimes you get that clientele, but they also are people who are very, very private. And I think particularly after the recession, there are a lot of people with a lot of money, but times have changed. A lot of people don't want mm-hmm. people to know that they have as much money as they have. And that's why they don't. Uh, that's why they want you to guarantee anonymity. And then, you know what I mean? Why people don't right. want to be in the magazines. Right. Yeah. I think you have to. I mean, you have to have the images. I don't know. I mean, I yeah. feel you have. It would be like having, you know, your arm tied behind I, your back. Yeah, it's like working in the dark in a way. I mean, like you said, mm-hmm. your friends don't know what your colleagues don't know what you're working on. It's, it's, it's. I think it's very hard. Yeah, and I well, think today it's really a requirement to be putting out a lot of content. I think to get more eyeballs on your work, so you really need the assets to be able to do that. Right. Right. So I want to switch this around. Like, let's talk about good clients for a mm-hmm. second. Because in the old days, as I said, I'm an old person, you know, there were many designers had very close relationships with their clients. I'm sure you still do have some. And, you know, you would do several projects with them. And they used to take them shopping to Paris or London or, you know, antique fairs or whatever. Does that still happen? Is there still that kind of friendly respect with clients? Probably not in the way that, what do you call it, like your... um not sponsor, but your um, your like patron, right? You know, patron, like I think right. there was like this whole right. idea of an Upper well, East Side decorator had, right. you know, would the, take you to the Winter Antique Show opening and black tie and all that. Yeah, no, I don't think that was the era sort of gone. But I mean, I you know had a project that you know installed this last year, and we met in Paris and did the flea markets. They were there, you know, for their own business, mm-hmm. and I flew over and we did that. And and then I was able also. I've gone other times to shop for things. I kind of love the idea of a, of a client would be, you know, more game for it. Mm-hmm. I had a client whose husband did a lot of work in London, and I was sort of like, we should get some, you know, I'll, if you ever want to go to London, like, I'll meet you there. Because I think it would be fun for them. Uh, I would think it'd be very educational. I yeah, mean, it's one sure. thing to go online and see a lot of stuff on Cherish, but to actually physically see things, I mean... If I could afford a designer and whatever, I would want to take them, go to the flea market in Paris or go to London, the antique fairs and things like that. But does that still happen with you, Sheila? Uh, No, not so much. I mean, I'll 
purchase those, you know, things, right. of course, in Europe. But, you know, it's a lot of sort of texting and sending emails and FaceTime and sort of presenting things that way. But back in the day, um, I would go over to Paris and we'd do that long weekend that all the designers did. And we'd fill up containers and ship them by a debt and come home. And, you know, clients had these really individual, unique, one-of-a-kind things that no one else had, which to me... That's that's the fun part of of our job, sort of the thrill of the chase and, you know, sort of searching for these really unique and interesting things. Um, you know, I don't want my projects to look like every other designer's project. And and the way that you do that is by sourcing from from all over the world. And I don't mean by just, you know, buying things online, but physically going uh, and seeing these things. And I think clients who are open to um, sort of being educated about things, I mean, those are kind of, to me, the best clients because they, they want to learn. And if you are interested in, you know, art history or the history of decorative arts or any of these things, and you travel to places like Italy or to London or to Paris, I mean, there's just so much there uh, that it's kind of hard not to get excited about right, it. Right. What about your clients, Richard? So I, I do give them a heads up and I'll say, I'm going to these fairs and I'm going to these things and they'll meet me at certain things. Or like I flew down to Miami Design. Mm -hmm. We went to Stoneyard, then we went there, then we drove up to, you know, we did the whole day and they love it. And there'll be a show, let's say, for example, Paul Kasman, he'll have Matteo Bonetti. And I'm like, you need to go see this. You need to go see this. And um, or we will meet at the uh, at the armory. Mm -hmm. But it's different in a sense because they themselves love it as well. And so they, they yeah, the want to go and yeah. do those things. Yeah. And then they'll refer me to things um, or I'll give them lists. I don't necessarily have to go with them. They'll go, I go you're going to Paris. I need I want you to go see, you know, um, Hervé van der Straten. I want you to go see so and so and um, and look for the lighting fixture. I, it's kind of like leading the witness, <laughs> mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. they they like it. Yeah. They like I mean, don't it. you think? And you know, the more that the client participates in the project, the better it is in the end. Not well, only I would not only um, does it sort of I, I feel like look better, but they feel like it's their own. You know, it's a more authentic project than just going out and blindly shopping for somebody and getting sort of approval on these things. Uh, you know, I just think when the clients are actually involved in choosing things you know, on their own, whether it is that they shop at night and they buy something and then you get an email, oh, I bought this, you know, where do we, how do we fit this in? I mean, you know, you want the project ultimately to be reflective of them and not of you. Mm -hmm. So, um, speaking of good clients, like my, I have, um, recently two, two clients in LA and when we kind of started, there were a couple of days where it would be like, all right, we're going to meet, you know, they live on the, well, very well on the West side. And then it's like, okay, we're going to eat, we're going to meet like, you know, we're going to shop, we're going to hit all the LA places. And halfway through, you know, JF Chen, their like eyes are like, you know, bloodshot. <laughs> and they're like, oh my God, this is like a lot. It's like my husband, we go to the flea market, we go two seconds, go, oh, there's nothing in here, let's go. And I'm like, we haven't even looked. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I think, um, and then what I'll do in, in, in places like that is, you know, you, what I found actually more effective was let me go do the shopping because then the other thing is they're like, Oh, they got to get back by, you know, right. back to Santa Monica by X amount of time to pick up the kids from school um, or the nanny gets off or, or whatever. And I work with a lot of families 
that are, you know, maybe 40s and 50s and, or, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, and they have young kids and they're active lives and it's like chaos. Busy. Um, right. So I think they love it when I will kind of pre-shop for them. I bring things on approval to the house and then they're like, and which is, you know, I think a great way to do it. And then you're like, oh, this looks amazing. And then they love it. It's there. It's done. Mm -hmm. You can like, and then you check it off the list. Well, here's, and again, here's another flip side of that. How many of your clients now, because everything is, you know, overnight delivery, free shipping, all this stuff. Is there still a client who's willing to wait? understands the importance of custom, you know, or is it, you know, what I call the resto hardware factor, you know, why do I have to wait 16 weeks for the sofa? We can just get it at resto. Is that's Richard, you're rolling your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, it's it, my office is, it, it's a mix. And I won't say it's that I don't buy anything at certain places. I find it's the opposite. I find like we get so complicated ourselves and that's sometimes it would be easier to just go out and buy something pre-made, but it, we, we don't do that. However, in essence, people have to understand that some of the artisanal things take time. Some of the best things I own are, are clients who actually had no patience and, and, and demanded their money back. And I, and I, so I have a, a dining table that's all hand carved by Olivier Garnier. Wow. That's amazing that I've right. you've seen in, in photographs. And I, I have things from Thomas Boog that, yeah. um, he disappeared. He went to do, you know, the shell incrustation for Mrs. Um, David Viles. Oh, right. South of oh, France right. house six months. And then these lamps never came and we had to return the money. Now I think people have um, more of an appreciation because there are so many fairs like the salon and all these mm -hmm. things. And people have become more accustomed to realizing that there are very few of them. Right. And, and they're, they're probably helps get them over the sticker shock one. as well because yeah. that stuff is not cheap. But, yeah, yeah, that's but, true. Right. I think uh, it depends on the, the client. You know, yesterday I a client chose a, a carpet. It was a, you know, hand-knotted silk made in Nepal uh, carpet from Stark Carpet and, you know, found out the price. And it was, of course, expensive. And the lead time was seven months. And she said, fine. I think because she really understands what right. it is and appreciates the quality. But then I have, you know, other clients who will not wait seven months for a carpet. And they want me to search, you know, online and find something that is readily available. It's just, you know, it really depends on the client. I think it also depends on the type of project. You know, if you're, if you, you know, there's a lot of new construction in the city. So if somebody buys one of these new condos and all they have to do is start decorating, you know, they probably don't want to wait 12 months for, mm -hmm. you know, a crazy custom rug. But if you're doing a new build, for example, in the Hamptons, then, you know, you have, you have the time. Right. Uh, as long as you get them to make the decision and, and get it ordered. Right. Um, so I think it depends. Right. On, and you know, also, you know, not everything's equally important to every person. You know, some no. people would be very happy with a rug from. But not only that, you know, there, there are certain items in, in certain projects that people just never give you the time to, to concentrate right. on. Right. Or they don't make the decision. And when I had Homer and mm -hmm. when all of the shops oh. now in the city that will actually sell stuff off the yeah, it's because they didn't they never made the decision on that side table or that you know desk chair or whatever else and then they have they come in and they want it tomorrow yeah yeah 
you know, I people when I was at Irvelle Decor, people would say to me, well, what are you, you know, designers would come up to me and say, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? And, you know, at first I didn't know how to answer that. I guess, you know. In terms of publishing? Stories? Yeah, what projects did I want to see in terms of pu publishing them? And finally I realized. And I, you were like, I don't know. <laughs> you <laughs> well, know it when you see it. I, I'll know when I see it. I, yeah. said, I said, okay, what I want to see is when you get a great client. Those are the, I said, I don't want to see your ordinary projects that you, you know, you do a beautiful job and you, you know, I could only publish 50 projects a year, really. Mm, so yeah. I said, but when you have a client that you're excited about, who collaborates with you, it's, you can be educated. You know, we, we always say, oh, designers have to educate, but some people don't want to be educated. They're just not interested, you know? So that's what I'd say. When you have a great client, that's a project I want to see. And I think that makes mm -hmm. all the difference. But not every client is a great client. Do you know something that's interesting too? So 99% of our clients are good clients. <laughs> you are very lucky, Richard. No, do you agree? Actually, yeah, I, Mostly. I would agree. It's, Otherwise, yeah, we'd never it's last rare. I mean, it did. doesn't happen. You know, we're here in the room talking about it. That's the right. topic. But right. generally speaking, yeah, I think most clients are good clients. And yeah. Josh, would you say? Yeah, for sure. And also, like, you know, it's a, it, even your clients that you're close with or you're friends with, they have their moments in the same way that you have your oh, moments. Yeah, it's a volatile relationship. relationship. Absolutely. We all have our bad days. Right. And is there any one trick that you employ or would consider employing if you had a client who was sort of difficult but not so horrendous that you want to ditch the project, is there a way that you can sort of guide that client to be a better client? You know, I don't know if they become a better client, but something that I find interesting is a lot of people travel so much now that they come back with ideas and they'll say, oh my God, we just stayed at this hotel and I really love the way they did the bathroom and and every whatever idea mm -hmm. they come in with. And what you do at the design meeting is you look at the manager on, on, on their project and you kind of look at them in a way where it's like, don't even write this down, but let's pretend we're going <laughs> to look at it. <laughs> you got to learn to listen, let things die. You listen, they, but you don't act the on it. The next time they come, they can't even remember they said that. Right. So it's advice. kind of like prioritizing really what's important. No, I agree with Richard. I think, um, you know, people just like to be heard. And I, I do think it's really important to be a good designer. I think you have to be a good listener. And, you know, sometimes they will sort of self-correct. You know, they, they might have gone to Greece and then suddenly they want everything whitewashed and blue. And then <laughs> and then they realize, you know what, this is out of context. This it doesn't, doesn't make work sense. This City, does not no. really work on my apartment on Park Avenue or whatever it is. So, But I think they just want you to... Um, listen and not be dismissive of their ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always say you have to let your clients win, you know, periodically. <laughs> uh, because sometimes, you know, they have an idea. And, and I can imagine yourself, like if somebody, you were doing something and spending a lot of money and a lot of time and had a lot of emotion around it and somebody consistently kept telling you no or like, no, that's not right. Or like, no, this is, you know. So I think you have to take the things that they bring to the table and, and make it work. And sometimes I've been really surprised at how that actually has the thing. I would have never picked it, but we used some old side tables that they had. And it was like, you know what? At least we'll have them. You know, if I don't like them or if, they don't, if they're not right when we move in, the client will see. And then we can shop for the right ones. Right. But in, in the end, it actually, they looked great. Yeah, and they sometimes worked. that sparks creativity. Then, yeah, you, you and know, so I think to I think you have to be open and polite and listen and, you know, try and make it as fun and positive as you can. Great. Okay, well, I want to thank my very distinguished guests, Sheila Bridges, Richard Michon, 
and Josh Green, and I hope that all of your clients are good ones. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Cherish Podcast. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Boudreau, and look for new episodes wherever you get your podcasts.